0: Welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy, and today we're talking about um, the late great actor Boris Karloff and two pre-code um, Halloween films that we're, we're recommending um that he stars in um he's these are films that can be found in that we start we're not really like paid by criterion channels (laughs) by the way i wish we were it just so (laughs) happens they keep running series that that are really quite cool this they have a wealth of different um halloween kind of spooky season um films several different ones but we're looking at the pre-code film um selection and there's two. Uh, there's actually three films with Karloff: um, the Old Dark House, 1932; Black Cat, the Black Cat, 1934; and the Raven, 1935. We're, we're concentrating on the first two, um, you know. And of course, Karloff had such a huge career in horror. He's an iconic figure in horror that there's so many of his films. You can you can be watching for Halloween if you want to go crazy with Karloff: Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, The Mummy, the 40s, 1940s of Val Luton horror films: The Body Snatcher, Isle of the Dead, and Bedlam. Um, the great 19, I think it's, I think it's actually 1968 film debut of Peter Bogdanovich called Targets, which is one of his last films and a really great kind of meta commentary and and summing up on Karloff's horror film career, becoming obsolete in the face of contemporary real life horrors. So we'll talk, uh, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll fill out a little bit on Karloff as we go, just cause I'm happen to be a big fan of Karloff. Um. Uh, you are also bound to hear um, the, the great Boris Karloff impersonation in the song The Monster <laughs> Rash, which plays somewhere all around us in stores and on radios um, during the season. And when Christmas rolls around, you don't want to miss Karloff's wonderful voiceover narration in the 1966 holiday classic How the Grinch Stole Christmas, he also does the Voice of the Grinch. Um, just be careful to avoid the Jim Carrey version. And <laughs> not make not any arguments on that one. Watch the rollback. <laughs> um, but first, let's go back and talk about the, um, the two Karloff films that we're most interested in, um, The Old Dark House and The Black and the Black Cat. Uh, and it's, again, pre-code, always an interesting era before the real censorship crackdown, which happened in 34. Um, and these are the early years of his stardom. Keep in mind, he becomes a star with um, 19, the 1931 film Frankenstein that just immediately overnight, as it should have done, made him a big star. So this is, these are his early years after. So your take, um, if you have an overall take on the first on those two films.
1: Yeah, well, okay. So at first, so we watched The Old Dark House and The Black Cat. When mm-hmm. I first watched The Old Dark House, I must admit, I was a bit bored, like midway through. Mm-hmm. It gets going towards the end. And at first I thought, like, what is it? And Karloff doesn't have that big of a role. He plays Morgan, the, for lack of a better term, butler <laughs> to <Yeah>. this, <laughs> this depraved family. And he's kind of... Um, disfigured and he's, mm. he's, he's dumb. So he doesn't speak. Mm. And, um, it, it, <laughs> uh, the more I think about the old dark house though, the more I like it. And I think it would definitely reward repeated viewings. Um, I guess we'll get into each of these like individually, but it's, right. it's a, yeah, it's a, It's a take. uh, uh, Both of the films are similar in that they follow travelers who have no choice, but, uh, you know, due to weather events, (laughs) have Mm -hmm. to spend the night in a a creepy house with creepy people. Mm -hmm. And in in both of the films, a very like normal couple is at the center and they're mostly boring. But in The Old Dark House, they're they're the least boring and the sort of like (laughs) sexual relationships or or, i mean out of the two like the the relationships between the couples are are pretty interesting in the old dark house Mm -hmm. um and it uh it it has a a much higher class consciousness than a lot of films um that come out of hollywood at this time it's set in Mm -hmm. wales it's uh directed by james Whale, who is welsh so Mm -hmm. he definitely had like a uh consciousness about the British class system that comes through Mm -hmm. here. And I guess I'll just skip briefly to The Black Cat. I was pretty blown away by The Black Cat, Mm -hmm. directed by Edgar G. Almer. Um, It was, it seemed very German. And of course, Ulmer is, um, I believe he's what, from, born in originally what is now the Czech Republic, Mm -hmm. but spent his developmental years in Vienna. Mm -hmm. So, and he allegedly, although there's no historical evidence to confirm this, allegedly worked on films like Metropolis and M. But it definitely yeah. has. Yeah. And it it definitely has that. Um, and he did, he did work with Murnau. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. And, and so it has this like fabulous German expressionist look and the black mm. hat is really unexpected because the house is not an old dark house. It's a new mess. It's a new shiny, fabulous, sleek art deco house mm-hmm. and Karloff plays an architect and you just know from the moment you see the interior, like, Oh, he's going to be so hyper-civilized that he's monstrous. Yes. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> true to the, you know, this is pre-World War II, but like true to the uh, many portrayals of the Nazis in Hollywood film and other films of the allies, there's something like Uber civilized about um, like certain German figures that like mm. warps them into perversity. Mm-hmm. Um And the black cat is, you know, a delicious pairing of Bella Lugosi, who I love. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know a lot of people think he's a big ham and he is, but like, I'm so happy. (laughs) Yeah. He totally is. I, I'm so happy to see him on screen. So Dracula to you. Um, so it's Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff. And it's a really interesting relationship. Mm-hmm. Bella Lugosi has sort of a complex figure, both a uh, character, both, both evil, but also sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get it. And the black cat is like stunning looking. There is a satanic mass featured in it. That is like extremely glamorous. Mm-hmm. And some S&M moments near the yeah. end where, uh, Lugosi strings up a shirtless Boris Karloff, um, mm-hmm. who's quite a, quite an attractive man and <laughs> threatens to like flay the skin off of him. Um, and it's, wow. Um, <laughs> so but yeah, the the black cat was really a treat. Um, so I, I would recommend that first and foremost, and then once you get into the groove of these films, um, maybe, uh, venture into the old dark house. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what's your over
0: t- overall take, Eileen? Well, I was just stunned because again, early '30s films. I was stunned by the extent to which, I, and I just became hyper conscious watching them both in a row. How obsessed with World War One these two films are! Mm-hmm. So World War One is huge in both. Um, one you can read about more than see, but there are references in the film. Like there's a the, the, the insanely boring young couples. This must have been a thing. That <laughs> in fact, I sort yeah. of vaguely aware of this as a, as a thing where they're, all they are are young and in, in love and and they're that's all they have to do. They just have to be, you're supposed to feel for them when they're menaced more than anyone, I guess, but they're so boring. They're like black oh. holes in the screen. How boring they are. But in the first film, The Old Dark House, they have a friend with them, a cynical friend played by Melvin Douglas, who's by far the better actor like by leagues and leagues, And he's making a meal of a character that he's very well played, which is, he's very ironic, he's very cynical, he's very, but very light, very quippy. So he's like joking and almost doing a monologue, you know, against their their bicker. The most interesting thing they do is they bicker in the opening scene Mm -hmm. when there's a big storm that's going to drive them into, you know, into the old dark house. (laughs) And he just, he's just making mocking remarks throughout, but even he attributes this, these behaviors in himself Two, his, his the experience of World War One, mm-hmm. come out of it kind of unable to take anything seriously. Which indeed, if you know anything about the, the history of post World War One, is is a huge syndrome of the time. Which all that pleasure seeking of the Jazz Age was driven by very dark forces of coming, being the Lost Generation, and coming out of this mm-hmm. you know, world seeming world ending thing that then ironically didn't end and didn't end anything, didn't even end war, even though mm-hmm. it was called the war to end all wars. It definitely didn't. So he's playing that character it, 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 the 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 movie is you can just read up on it's based on a novel by j. b priestley and it's it's very he's very he was very upfront about saying this this whole movie is just about uh, post world War one pessimistic stances that i've just you know dressed up as people and they're walking around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, uh, including among that is the, the, the rigid class structure um, of Great Britain, which is just different people of different classes are, and it's a, a great cast, by the way, Charles Lawton plays um, a working, a young working class man who's managed to make it financially. <laughs> um, and at first you just think he's the most boorish, loudmouth, bragging, impossible figure. And it's, it's going to be, Insufferable, and then he turns out to be the most sympathetic and weirdly sexually <laughs> sophisticated, of, yes. uh, or at least yeah, empathizing of any of the characters. So there's going to be all this interesting stuff with class. Um, but when you get to the Black Cat, it's it's the, this gorgeous Art Deco uh, um, building, mansion, whatever it is that has been built by the Boris Karloff character, is built on top of a fort <laughs> of a Hungarian fort. Um, that he Boris Kalash's character commanded in World War One, mm-hmm. but he sold out to the the enemy to the Russians, who then saved. Presumably they were being besieged. It's a little vague. Um, in order to save his own life, and they over the Russians overtook the fort, killed, slaughtered most of the men, took some prisoner, including Bela Lugosi, and Bella Lugosi was in a I don't know a Siberian prison for fifteen years, and has just just come out of it. And is literally on his way to see the Boris Karloff character to take his revenge. And that's when he mm-hmm. meets the young couple and they wind up going there too and sort of things happen. But the, the, So you're literally looking at this shiny Art Deco masterpiece of a bizarro masterpiece of a house built on top of, of an old World War I fort. Which is, as Bella Lugosi puts it, the scene of the crime where this great betrayal took place. Also interesting to note that Lugosi served mm-hmm. in the Austro-Hungarian army. And wound up getting wounded in World War One, and wound up getting um, wounded and mustered out um, after he was fighting on the Russian front. Yes. So
1: weird. Didn't he become a morphine addict from so, that?
0: Yes. Um, and as is well known, if you've seen Ed Wood or know about how, how Bela Lugosi's career ended up, he ends up in Ed Wood films, the great movie Ed Wood um, with Martin Lando giving a brilliant performances of Bela Lugosi. Mm-hmm. Is about how he's so more. He's been brought so low from his great stardom, mainly by the morphine addiction, that he's taking these super low budget films to make. Yes, mm-hmm. he developed the most some terribly severe, incurable form of sciatica that was supposedly related to his injuries that he received in World War One, and that's how he wound up uh, a morphine addict. Um, so, again, the long, long reach of World War One seems to permeate <laughs> yes. both of these films in a way that once you are kind of given the key to this, you know, there's all these mentions of it. But if you're not really attuned to it, you're not going to get the import of the films, especially like when Boris Karloff just casually says, you know, as he's touring the young people around <laughs> his his architectural masterpiece. And he says, yes, it's it's, it's as undermined as it was. During World War One, in other words, there's there's apparently it's it's all ready to blow. It's just yeah. so much. <laughs> it's so much pre-detonated. It can go up at any minute. And of course, no big spoiler that that's how it's going to end. Right. It's going to end up being yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> can, can, <laughs> so, can I? Can I Don't add something to this World ahead. War One thing? Or okay, yeah. so yeah, I was thinking about that. Like in The Black Cat, Karloff's character um mm. basically like zombifies certain people. Certain right. people are put under his sway and he controls them. And this is like definitely a concern of German expressionism, also right. coming out of World War One, because of course, uh the doc the history of like, especially the German doctors um during World War One, are it, they worked tirelessly to make sure that soldiers, even when ones who had been legitimately Mm shell-shocked could be pumped full of enough drugs to be sent back to the front. And there's, there's a great book about this called from Caligari to Hitler by Tony Case, but like definitely the, the film, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is haunted by this history of like these soldiers who are basically the walking dead, you know, being propped up by pharmaceuticals to go be killing machines, even though they're already like basically hollowed out <laughs> because of it. So this, the, you know, the issue of the sort of like soldier zombie and the question of like, what is free will in this context, I think haunts both of these films.
0: That's a great yes, great point. And and you know, if you look at films like of German Expressionist films, the 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 one that kicks off German expressionism in in film, it was an older, um, certainly an older uh what form that was already in theater um and painting and all the other art forms. But if you look at Caligari uh Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and you see the 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 somnambulist um what's his name? Um, I want to yeah. say Cesar, but it's not.
1: I uh, know that's the guy who, yeah, yeah, C- Cesar. Yeah, it's, it's, it is Caesar, is it-
0: whatever you want to call him. Yeah, that's yeah, the guy. Cesar. Anyway, he, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a, he's a zombified figure in the control of Dr. Caligari, and mm-hmm. he can be awoken enough by Dr. Caligari to send him out to murder people. Um. So, yeah, so, but the, the zombie figure, the zombified figure is very big in a German expressionism. So, yeah, there, there's the, some of the most wonderful images in the, in the, um, um, the black cat are the, are the, the women who are literally in a state of suspension—they're floating in these tanks. <laughs> amazing, and they're just in the halls. <laughs> yeah, in like the basement. The basement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're just in the basement, and so you, you know, the, there's this kind of you know encounters with these women who do look dreamily beautiful, with their hair mm-hmm. kind of floating upwards. It's amazing um, that that Karloff has taken over, um, and he—you know—he's—he's—it's going to turn out. You find out that he's murdered. Um, He's either murdered or he took over Bella Lugosi's wife and she suddenly, and she somehow died. So that was another betrayal of Lugosi after Lugosi was taken prisoner. Mm -hmm. And now living with um, the daughter of Lugosi's daughter. Yes. um, Until she crosses him and then bad things happen to her as well. So the zombifying women is also a a theme um, of the film in this fascinating way. For sure.
1: For sure. And okay, so should we take them one at a time? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so I love that you brought
0: out the boring young couple. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, yes. But you can it, tell that they were once what must have been effective because they're all over the place in '30s movies. Really boring young couples. I remember it's that. true, and like definitely in the musical too. Yes. But I,
1: I wonder in the horror film. I feel like ni- both of these films, mm. like,
0: are some critique of the boring oh, young couple,
1: right? Especially like in, no um, one's on
0: their side. Yes. I think is which is the more boring, the more boring I, for me, anyone in the black cat. Yeah. Yes. And, but you know, is that right? Is that right? Yeah. It's quite a contest. Reading reading (laughs) up on it. Yeah. So someone pointing out, well, they're the, they're the American couple who are over, you know, they're having a honeymoon in Hungary, but they don't know anything. So they Mm -hmm. just come blundering in, not knowing it. And you see them on initially on the tour that they're on in, in a bus being taken where, where they think they're going. And then there's a bus crash. Mm-hmm. Where you know the bragging is, you we're driving over battlefields that you know grounds that were you know you look down in that r- ravine. The, the bodies were piled twenty feet deep. There's a kind yes. of pride even the bus driver yes. hard, as he describes the utter mayhem, and they just have these blank reactions. It's just like they have they have no react it's not that america wasn't in the war but compared to what went on with europeans it was only for a year and it was so nominal it was never fought on american soil at all obviously so Mm -hmm. this kind of duh kind of we don't get it we don't get anything that's going on around us is very strong in the film so that's cool
1: Yeah, it's no, it's hysterical, but um, yeah, and in the old dark house, of course, it's Mm. it's so interesting because you would think again, like you would be asked to invest in them emotionally, but Melvin Douglas, the disaffected Mm. World War One vet, is much more interesting, and he's the one. He's kind of like, I mean, to me, it's like a Humphrey Bogart character. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't think much is worth doing for the majority of the film, but Mm. um, the there's a so. It's this like boring young couple who are, they're British, right? They're upper crust British. Mm-hmm, um, and and then their good friend, Melvin Douglas. So it's like a trio who of friends and mm-hmm. two of a couple and they blow into the femme Household, which is a I which know. is a, you know, that the, the monstrosity is figured in this film as gender trouble, and we'll definitely oh. talk about that. Um, so the femme household welcomes them, and, <laughs> and speaking of gender, like it's it's so interesting here. So, they're you know, the femmes are this very like uptight Victorian family, there's Horace femme, the the yeah. like very that this are like old and
0: decrepit uh, aristocrat who you would expect. Um, is that the guy who like, them, I think. I think that's, I think that's yes. a guy played by, what is his name? Something like Thomas Enzinger or Elsinger? Thomas that makes sense. Me memorize it. He's wonderful if you see him in his most famous role. His great character actor is in Bride of Frankenstein. He's Dr. Pretorius. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, you'll know him from that. He's so camp and so hilarious and so wonderful. He's got a very sniffy, high-nosed... <laughs> yeah, um, you know, d- deadly ironic delivery. That's just marvelous. So he, yeah, he's he's the one who leads them in. <laughs> he, he's
1: fabulous, and the whole family is messed up in different ways. They've got yeah. a sister who's like a Bible thumper, yeah. and. You, and she's very Victorian. My mom watched this with me, and this this woman is wearing a chatelaine, and it's so beautiful, which is like such a Victorian thing. You know, you've got mm-hmm. a little scissors on it, a little mirror. My mom's like the chatelaine was the star of the film, but um,
0: <laughs> okay, she, ran, <laughs> she rants repeatedly at the young woman. <laughs> Who you're looking yeah. at is going okay. That's a nice young. She's supposed to be just the nice young woman. To her, she's like she a reeks sin in the flesh pots because she's wearing a silk nightgown. I think
1: yes, <laughs> but it, it's a hilarious moment, and this is where you you get the sense like okay, I think this film is like really aware and like mocking the codes of its genre because mm-hmm. they're in this like decrepit you know old house. It's they've just been in this like enormous rainstorm and mudslide, and they go they're, the family initially only uh, Horace Femme brings out just like a straight bottle of gin and the woman changes into like a full evening gown with like diamond earrings to like <laughs> go drink gin by the fireplace you know which is hysterical and so yeah and exactly so she gets um chided by the bible thumping sister mm. for being you know like basically uh, you know you indulge in the pleasures of the flesh don't you with your fiance mm. or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, then, and you, it, which is like pretty, again, part of the pre-code nature of the film is actually the Bible thumper says this kind of stuff out loud, which would mm-hmm. be buried post, you know, post-production code. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way, but you do get the sense, like, it's very, it seems very obvious that the woman's getting dressed to please a man, to yeah. keep her place in society. And that is, it's very interesting that the film, like, actually highlights that. Mm-hmm. And then so you've got these like upper crust people. And then as you as you say, Eileen, you're so like relieved when this working class couple blows in Charles Lawton and this (laughs) chorus girl he's dating, which Mm -hmm. is great. And and by the end of the film, um, the chorus girl and Melvin Douglas, the disaffected vet, fall in love and they Mm -hmm. become like the central couple. And that's amazing because this chorus girl, you you know, is sexually loose. Mm -hmm. She's been, you know, sleeping with Lawton, who in a very like you know uh uh, what do you call it um when someone is uh not conventional okay i have no words Um, (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) enlightened enlightened, in a very enlightened way like lawton Mm -hmm. gives her up to melvin douglas at the end he's like well all right i guess there's no stopping love but you know traditionally
0: completely sympathetically does this thing he's just like yeah yeah, that's okay you know (laughs) you know and admit she even says He's not even, she basically says he's not that demanding sexually, Charles lot So her, right. her, her duties in order to be supported are not, are not at all heavy. She, I mean, she, she talks freely about this, And she said, what does he want? said he mainly wants to talk, you know, presumably about himself, but you don't know. I mean, yes. I mean he's done an amazing thing. He's come from the working class. He's made lot, boatloads of money. And. You know, again, he starts off as kind of a braggart, but um, but he just becomes yeah. more and pathetic because he's so sophisticated about like, yeah, well, you know, I'm fond of you and you're in love with him. And that's real. And yeah, it. it was it's you're just like it's really startling <laughs> if you're it not is. used to it, pre-code is wonderful for that reason. You realize even if you didn't grow up in the era of that of that particular censorship, either era, you're still kind of startled to see old movies in which such attitudes are expressed. Really great.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it, you know, so it, uh, I guess it needs to be said that like after the code was implemented, mm-hmm. there's no, that there's no way that chorus girl ends up happy or oh, with no. someone of a higher class. There's no way.
0: So it's, yeah, I was just like, wow, this is pretty, pretty radical in that way. Mm-hmm. But There's certainly no way that the other man would be understanding. I'm, I'm not sure how frank they could have been in any way. Right. Well, she's a kept woman with the, <laughs> none of it. I think it would all have had to have been airbrushed over, pretty sure. Absolutely. And I
1: was also interested in the way they treated the religious fanatic because Mm -hmm. she's constantly telling her brother Horace um mm-hmm. that he's he's not a believer. And so like you think this is going to come into play somehow mm-hmm. and he's going to be like the you know the evil one who is damned but she's equally evil you find out.
0: Oh, so yeah. it's- and you can definitely tell by the casting. I for, I don't think I remember to look up the name of the woman but she's very effective. <laughs> She's great. Yeah, yeah, you've definitely
1: seen her in a million things. Mm. But it's it's so wonderful that like the godly and the ungodly are equally mm-hmm. decrepit and <laughs> and horrible in this film. And so so I guess the the horror's kind of it's kind of interesting. They almost proceed from like downstairs to upstairs. Mm-hmm. So like we've got the first layer which is Boris Karloff's character Morgan. Mm-hmm. And you can tell in the great tradition of horror that he's monstrous because his face is, you know, uh, unusual. He's like disfigured. Yeah, so and he mon- almost looks animalistic. He's got too much hair.
0: <laughs> right. And hair growing very low. It's just like he, there's a lot of hair.
1: There's <laughs> too much. Okay, yeah. totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. So my you know, so a lot, you know, many monster films like figure monstrosity is like written on the body, you yeah. know. So mm-hmm makes sense, right? But then it's kind of interesting like the horrors continue. Like there's um someone locked upstairs and mm. there's a great deal of like suspense around people not wanting to go up to the landing to retrieve a lamp. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and then like it the what there but there're like two levels. Like first there's this weird elder relation named Sir Roderick and can we talk about that for a second?
0: <laughs> yes. Okay, it's- I, I'm sh- I, sure it's Roderick of Fall of the House of Usher reference, but yeah. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. Okay. Well, Sir Roderick is is supposed to be 102 years old. 102. <laughs> I, I swear to God he is played by a woman and has a woman's mm-hmm. voice. Does he mm-hmm. not? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, so freaking
0: bizarre. It's like so a don't woman. do you think with- that goes with the femme thing? I mean, there's a yes! whole sense of that. The, it's very Fall of the House of Usher in that the whole house seems to be decaying around them. And they seem to be kind of relics of another time who are hanging on in this bizarre way that is toxic. Like that should have all gone away a long time ago, which seems very class structure. 100%. So specific. It's like, this is hung on. This, whole, this was clearly an upper class family, but they've gone all inward and crazy and poisonous and it, that all needed to end and it didn't end. It's actually got a, got a, you know, it reminds me a little of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then you come upon a family whose whole way of life has ended, but they're hanging on and they turn monstrous. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big stretch in terms of time and location and the actual types of people. But in the sense that something that no longer functions, but hangs on decaying is very, very bad, is super good and prevalent. And, you know, in this, in this movie, it's the whole movie is about like this house. And you're right. You you go through layer after layer of more and more secret crazy. I mean, Morgan yes. has a very typical servant of the of the of the house problem in that he's the old family retainer. So they'd never get rid of him. But every time he drinks, he goes crazy yes. <laughs> and rampages around and attacks people. So totally. that's the first level, but then you're, you're, you're going up to Jane Eyre levels of people locked in room. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let that person out. And what's on the next level? Yes. Very nice. It's very funny oh it's out.
1: amazing yeah well no so i mean as you were saying so yes yeah, sir roderick is i, I swear i couldn't mm. i guess i didn't find out but it is like played by a woman with this weird beard that could be either the beard of a man or a woman yes. it's kind
0: of scraggly at 102 yes. you know and it don't, has you a, that, don't you think that's using gender as a way to suggest collapse in the old in the old way that they would A thousand percent. It's, you know, the sort of this should
1: by all rights be the patriarch,
0: but he is so,
1: as you say, like aristocratic uh, aristocracy turned inward Mm -hmm. so that it becomes like weak and perverse. And, you know, hence in the sort of like patriarchal logic, womanly, you know, Mm -hmm. and that that's the biggest horror of all. And then, and then you get to the person in the room, and I was surprised. I thought it would be a woman given the logic of this, but I I think,
0: right? Yes. Just because of the Jane Eyre tradition, but the it Jane turns Earthly, out that's exactly why. Yes, I was very shocked that it was just what is he the the, the brother uncle Saul? Saul? Yeah, yeah. Saul. yeah, he's the he's the
1: brother of he's the brother of Horace and the Bible thumper woman, oh, right. right? Right, that's right. Yes.
0: And he's a madman who wants to, in Jane Eyre tradition, burn the whole house yeah, down. He's a pyromaniac, and he goes g- around gibbering and giggling. And he's small, isn't he? He's kind of oddly small, super small. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's so I think weird. he's the shrinking, the weakening. The I guess, yeah. yes. But then, I mean, this is the real weird thing. So,
1: like, yeah, he tries to, like, burn down the house. He doesn't succeed. He does break a chair over Melvin Douglas, who's, like, knocked mm-hmm. out for a while. And this actor who plays Saul is super creepy. He's just working with his face, and it's yeah. terrifying. Mm-hmm. But this is where I think they, like, um, r- they re- they follow their sort of, like, gender trouble logic, is mm-hmm. that when Saul, Saul is knocked out, and I think, is Saul killed? I believe he is. Yes, he's killed. Saul is killed and Morgan, Boris Karloff, yes. picks him up in a sort of Weird. like Pieta moment and yeah. like very tenderly strokes him and like brings his body up the stairs. Oh, and you're beautiful.
0: like, and, and it's so Karloff. Karloff was always great at bringing the melancholy, the solemnity, but it's out of nowhere. <laughs> like it's Morgan, the butler, who's a raging drunk and goes crazy. And he keeps trying to chase down the woman, the young woman. Every time he sees her, he goes into clearly a best chill, you know, lustful fit. And then suddenly it's he who mourns. <laughs> of all for yes! Saul.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, is that not to me? That's like a pretty queer
0: coded. Like it makes yeah. sense. They're, they're They're in love. You know, Morgan and Saul. He's, and he's the only one who has this reaction, like this huge mourning. Yes. exactly exactly
1: yeah. so so there we go you know the film like relocates the monstrosity in this sort of like queerness gender mm-hmm. trouble and it's mm-hmm. great
0: <laughs> it's so then good because it's, it's like the ultimate collapse sir you know it's a class collapse and you know heterosexual gender mores collapse everything collapses and so it's that's perfect and it's really startling when it happens like you're just like what <laughs> what yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just such a weird film and then it doesn't, that's the pay, that's the big payoff. Cause then in the end, everyone just wanders out of the house kind of. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, okay, we're done. The storm's over. Bye. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so goofy. <laughs> Except but- like it's not, uh, not the Melvin Douglas. He's still wounded. And the, the chorus girl stays with him. And so does Charles Lawton's character, the, to, to help. Yes. Them. So they yes. stay behind, but you know they're going to be able to. They, they, there's no. Int- uh, somehow you're always thinking, you know, they're, you're entrapped and you're going to have to escape. That's how horror films go. And yes, it would happen at dawn, but just the idea that you drift away and, and there's the, yes. the, the, the brother Horace kind of waving goodbye. I know. <laughs> yeah, like, thanks for coming. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so I love that the most of all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, at the end, you kind of like, I don't know, Horace horse
0: seems kind of nice to visit, you know? Exactly. Like, do you yeah. see have regarded this as a pleasant visit? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know what? You could continue, You could try to do a more sophisticated reading and just say, well, of course, you're relying on old Victorian mores. So they just automatically go back and do what they would have, you know, you would have exactly. done. You, right, you no matter the horrors. Yet, and the next yes. time, you wave them off from them yeah (laughs) and it also suggests like this doesn't go away this is not defeated the house doesn't collapse in on itself like the house of usher there's no end to this it'll just be the next group that gets caught in a storm that has to go to the old dark house and they they all won't be there this time totally
1: totally it's yeah it's great and there are so many there's so many beautiful visual moments like the woman oh i think Qu- quick pause the woman mm. swanning around in the silk gown with the earrings the upper yeah. class woman the boring couple woman yeah. her name
0: is gloria stewart and oh, yes, i guess and, she's, and the her yeah. star is raymond massey so there's unusual star power for the the couple yeah and she George, gloria stewart yeah.
1: if, if you're like a child of the 90s she's the old woman in titanic yeah, <laughs> yeah. so fyi i thought she was terrible
0: is it just was me awesome?
1: she was, oh terrible. god
0: just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen yeah. her in a few things. She's uniformly terrible. Yeah.
1: Okay, great, great. Glad we're on the same page yeah. there. Her dress is beautiful, and all of her uh, lingerie, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, so that's a pleasure. But there's mm-hmm. this fabulous moment where she is in uh, the drawing room. Everyone else has gone out, but she's still there with like this. Oh my God, oh, we need to talk about the potatoes, but table that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <she's-> <laughs> She's like over this kitchen table where they've served like roast beef and potatoes and there's um, the lights have gone out or rather they only use candlelight inside. Mm -hmm. And so she's able to capture- The the, the um,
0: Bible-thumping woman won't have electricity in the house.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. And so Gloria Stewart is left alone in the drawing room and she's making shadow puppets on the wall, her Mm -hmm. in her lovely silk dress. And they're like, they're, they're really large shadow puppets. And then the shadow of the Bible-thumping woman- joins hers and threatens Mm -hmm. Gloria Stewart's shadow. But of course the Bible thumping woman isn't really there. So Gloria Mm -hmm. Gloria Stewart gets like spooked and runs into the storm and it's a great Mm -hmm. moment. (laughs) But yes, okay. Back to uh, can we talk? I feel like there's a running joke about the potatoes, and I don't know how
0: to explain it. But <laughs> they're like, right, and oh, remind me of the setup. I know there's this, this beautiful thing where doesn't Melvin Douglas finally say that he loves potatoes or something? Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: I, I don't know what it's about, but they keep like they serve roast beef and potatoes. It's this enormous hunk of roast beef, like a bunch of potatoes, and the the first group are like they're kind of like. I don't know, picking at the potatoes. There are some eyes in some of them. Mm -hmm. But then Charles Lawton comes in and is like robustly excited. Like, I love potatoes. And then I don't know, they talk about like bringing a potato up to Saul. I don't know. There's something going on with the potatoes. It's like, like a (laughs) very
0: long routine. (laughs) I keep thinking it has to be a class thing. It, that, exactly that right so that's why i was going with lawton it's so like that's why lawton is like you know yes pitching in with relish and the others are kind of like hmm picking at it's, it it's probably like you weren't supposed to serve potatoes that way but why would they then why would this upper class you know victorian <laughs> relics be serving though so well, maybe confused. they're down on their luck,
1: but I'm like, I, I, I think that you're right because Saul, the you know, the most decrepit and the craziest of all, locked in his mm-hmm. room, he rejects the potatoes. He except ate everything right. on his plate except the potatoes. Except the potatoes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, there's also the really, the really awful um, association with Ireland. And of potatoes. course, but I right. couldn't make anything of that. I was like, "Is this because so you know so much British stuff?" Has, mm-hmm. is just haunted by Ireland. <laughs> I can't tell you how many stories have an Irish yew tree in them and that are ghost stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. There'll be these little, like, we're not going to say it out loud, but Ireland is here. Because, you know, there's so much about guilt that has to do with ghost stories. Of, story. of course, it makes sense. We always have ghost stories where, you know, there have been, you know, Native American, you know, uh, great Right. Yeah. Um so that's I kept trying to work that line but I could not could not figure it out. So it seems just like it's a class thing that we are not privy to. Maybe the, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's in there, and I wish some British person could unfold the logic. Yeah, the, way um. it, a
0: with the potatoes <laughs> are the issue. Yeah, yeah, but a delight, a delight. But so, yeah. and, I mean, so, but you're right. I, I also fell asleep the first time I tried to watch the Old Dark House. I fell oh my god! <laughs> Admittedly, I had had a very tiring day. But okay, still, so you just got to get you. You do have to sort of get yourself into the pacing as well. There's a lot of pausing in these early early 30s films keep in yes. mind that the sound films are new so right. up until right up through i'd say up until maybe i don't know up through 33 mm-hmm. you'll see these kind of awkward they're rather often static they're there's just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of pauses in acting and a lot of they just haven't mastered the sound completely yet so you just kind of have to get into the rhythm of it and be forgiving at least these movies are short they tend to be on the short side Yeah. And and yeah, uh, mercifully an hour and five, an hour and 10. Yes. Yes. Quite short. So, so keep that in mind when you're watching, but you know, once you have the code to them, like once you've figured out what the the importance of certain themes, class, Uh world war one, that kind of thing. then you're like, Oh, everything starts to resonate is much more interesting.
1: Totally. And so, all right, good transition. So like the, the old dark house has no, um, orchestral score. There's no non-diegetic music, which Mm -hmm. also adds to its sort of like, oh, patchy, sort of like static quality. But moving Mm -hmm. on to the Black Cat, which is made in 34, it does. And the Mm -hmm. Black Cat, to me at least, was a lot smoother. I don't know how you felt about it.
0: Oh, yes. It It, seems slicker in general.
1: Yes. Totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. And shall we dive in? Oh yes, please yes. Oh, okay. So it's the same conceit. (laughs) It's a group of travelers, a boring American couple, and and Bella Lugosi, who get trapped in some kind of weather event and have to spend the night in Boris Karloff's house. Right? Except. Lugosi, you get the sense, is steering the travelers there because he's yeah. got a beef with Karloff because right. Karloff sold out his side of um, you know, the war and mm-hmm. Bela Lugosi uh, paid with 15 years of his life in a like, horrend- horrific prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's interesting, I wanted to start with, again, I, I think this one, The Black Cat, even more than The Old Dark House, seems mm-hmm. like a kind of savage critique of this normative couple. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. it It starts with them, they're on a train car and they've just been married. And the husband, the allegedly straight husband, is like super fay, at least in my reading. And there's even this part where he's like, he gets to the weird house, and he's like this banal queen, and he's like, oh, next time I'll go to Niagara Falls,
0: oh, that's you right. know, like. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There are so many slippages, totally. Like, it, yeah. it's, it's interrupted by all this absolutely bizarre shit, and then that's his comment. He like just totally. can't get it. <laughs> and it, you know, they're like
1: they're talking over their wedding. And they've just come from the ceremony, right. and they're you know they're basically talking about how fake it was. Um, they didn't ha- you know they didn't really have it was like kind of a whirlwind. They had didn't have that that much of a you know chance to appreciate the festivities.
0: And yeah, the, the company's had- starving. Because yes! it turns out neither of them ate, and they said, "Yeah, the 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 food is made of at weddings is made of uh, paper mache, basically."
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. exactly it. I swear to God, this film is freaking savage about uh, the whole like normative coupling thing. Yeah. And then <laughs> Bella Lugosi has to join them in the train car, and the wife is kind of sleeping. <laughs> oh yeah, God. and
0: pets he he and the and the husband is just sitting watching as Bella yes. Lugosi reaches over and starts stroking the. hair of his wife <laughs> tell, it's, like what is happening <laughs> it's so queer and creepy and oh. like they're gonna
1: share this woman but also they have this weird like homosexual complicity about yes. it yes. like I don't know this I love this movie it's so bizarre yeah, and, it really and I mean yeah, and then like go. I mean, going on. So they get to the house, and yeah. So for a film named The Black Cat, it doesn't have much to do with cats.
0: <laughs> well, they keep a you know both the Black Cat and the Raven are based on Poe short stories, famous ones. Yeah, and in both cases, it's entirely nominal. Like, like they'll put a little top dressing of Poe. Like, there keeps showing up a black cat, <laughs> and yeah. but nothing happens. It has nothing to do with with the stories. It's, they just want Poe's name attached
1: amazing it's amazing so but the one thing that does happen so uh, as usual you get the sense that the the young glamorous wife who's still um by the logic of you know films is uh virgin because she hasn't yet had her wedding night she's gonna be lured to the dark side so there's this like thin story that Bella Lugosi's character is afraid of cats and one, a black cat crosses his path in this house he throws a knife at it the cat
0: he kills the cat I guess he kills the cat. but then there the is- Almost the next scene, Boris Karloff shows up and is carrying a black cat. It's got nine lives. Apparently. It just keeps coming back. Oh, there's the cat again. Totally. And so, well, you think
1: I thought the film at that point so that after he kills the cat, mm-hmm. the young wife comes in sort of zombified. She has yeah. that look that young women have in Dracula, the Todd mm-hmm. Browning film, like a kind of like strange, kind of sexual, weird affect. Yeah. And she and Bella Lugosi, in fact, has like literally, you know, penetrated her with some kind of like needle. He gave her some kind of, yeah. I don't know, drug.
0: Yeah. And using so- the excuse that she's that she was injured in the in the right Right. she has some sort of weird chest wound it's in a very weirdly placed so that when he comes abruptly into her room you know uh, she thinks it's her husband and he comes in and he says he he suddenly says you know something about dressing and she'd just been dressing and you know into her nightie and he has to change the dressing you know so i'm like (laughs) okay (laughs) but anyway yes he's drugged her apparently during that that interlude
1: yes and so I mean it's hinted that she's taken on the spirit of the black cat like Lugosi says something about when the black cats are killed like or Karloff does that in certain eastern writings and uh, the Orientalism is strong and we'll discuss but um, in certain eastern writings black cats are thought to be you know evil Evil. when they're killed their spirit goes into like the nearest being so -hmm. the whole time I'm like oh this lady is going to be the black cat Mm -hmm. and she's weird for like a couple minutes but then I don't know how she gets like unweird but that that. The plot like goes away
0: just goes away <laughs> just, so many things it's, yeah. like, it's like when the cat reappears no one says anything no right says, i thought you just killed that cat or how many black cats do you have i mean like there's no nothing but it kind of makes sense
1: because karloff does say in explaining the logic of why black cats are evil mm-hmm. he says you know they have they
0: have nine lives and what's right. deathless is evil. So but again, it, the, the, it's the no reaction that amazes me. I mean, I don't know, if I had seen someone hurl a knife and kill a cat, there's also no cleanup of the cat. There's no reaction right. to the fact that he killed the cat. None. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, it all has a kind of like, you're, in a, you're, in, you're truly in a strange dream. The whole movie's like that.
1: Totally, totally. It's yeah, but it's great. It's Mm -hmm. great. But again, you know, so you think like, okay, just like Dracula, I mean, it's one of the many things I appreciate about Dracula, Mm -hmm. like these women are lured to the dark side, because it's like so much more exciting than their stupid, boring groom, you know? Mm Um, so I, I, that film definitely has this too. And I thought it was just like pretty savage about this young couple. And the, the man shares a room, like adjoining rooms with Bella Lugosi at some point, And they like agree out loud to leave the door open between them. And to me, it's just like the most, I, I don't know, it seems pretty clear that they're like interested in each other in that pre-code way. And because this guy has been so gay the whole time. <laughs> and uh, and Bella Lugosi has the excuse that he's like a foreigner. So you get the idea that he's like, you know, some kind of bisexual. It's just that's what a foreigner is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: kind and of it does, fluid. it does seem like it's being the most, you're right. It's being the most savage about the young American couple who are clueless. Yeah. Uh, and utterly clueless. and the sense of yes so everything around is going to be have that dark furin quality <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but it's also going to be if you just quickly flip it and read the reverse the people who know anything <laughs> the people who have any sophistication any knowledge of history any anything are are the people surrounding the supposedly idealized young couple i mean you you can tell the young couple's being savage when the young man when you get to the point where action has to be taken because so many awful things are happening He promptly, like, loses the fight. (laughs) Yes. He's completely ineffectual physically when he finally decides to, like, act. So you can't get more condemning of an American male figure (laughs) than that. Yeah, exactly.
1: I think you're right. You articulated why I was so shocked. Mm. Like, he ends up having no power at all. Totally. Totally. Mm Totally. So, I mean, it turns off, like, Lugosi and Karloff have had this beef, and, you know, Eileen, like, beautifully pointed out earlier the way Lugosi has this great line about Karloff's Art Deco house that he's built, and Karloff is a master architect Mm -hmm. from, you know, uh, the Austrian, well, really Austria, we guess. Yeah. Um, And Lugosi says, this is a masterpiece of construction built on a masterpiece of destruction, Mm -hmm. which is a great line. Uh, All the the genocide that Karloff committed. And they have this, to me, I was, um, I didn't know how to feel about Lugosi's character until the end, which was wonderful. Mm -hmm. It was very ambiguous. Like you think he's Bela Lugosi, so he shows up and you think he's going to be evil. He's creepily like manipulated the young woman. Mm -hmm. Um, But he and Karloff have this like, I, it, but he is he is righteous in the way that he has suffered through melodramatic yeah. logic. You know, he spent 15 years in this prison camp. He's condemning Karloff for his genocidal actions and for selling out um, the their side of the war. And um, they have this like wonderful chess game that they play. It's literal. You know,
0: yes. they're going to play I, for the safety of the young couple. Yep. So if if, if Bela Lugosi wins you know, they'll be able to go free. And, and Karloff immediately is just like, well, you're not going to win. <laughs> and you know, you know, looking at Karloff that goes he's not going to win, which he doesn't. Yes. I mean, you have to see, Karloff has never looked more unusual than he does in this role. For once he's not made up to look mm-hmm. extravagantly disfigured or monstrous in some way. He's, he's kind of, he's super sleek and futuristic looking. He's <laughs> got he's this like- He could almost be in a yes. sci-fi film. He comes out wearing some sort of weird tunic. <laughs> the, the yes. future looking and he's they've taken his his natural widow's peak and super exaggerated it so he's got a big v um, <laughs> on his forehead and he yeah he just looks like if he could go step right off the set and go into a sci-fi movie of the period and and be fine um it's- yeah so he's clearly positing himself and his house as a kind of future world and it's a real a really interesting kind of condemnation of Art Deco. As a start yes, of just like, oh, this is what you patch over <laughs> everything that's happened. It's so of hard. course, because because like if you
1: take it as Art Deco is the look of the machine, right? right. It's like this sleek like romanticization of the machine. Mm-hmm. And the machine is what is responsible for World War One. You know, I mean it's yeah. a long history of thought about, you know, this is the first modern war, but also like people perversely, the optimism around the style that we call Art Deco is the same, I hate to put it this way, but optimism about warfare at Mm -hmm. the, you know, from like 1900 to, you know, I don't know, into the 20s. really leading through the thirties through fascism. There's this whole history of like being excited about the advent of, machi- of machines. Cause finally you could define these great nation building projects like Germany, Italy through warfare. Mm-hmm. And that this would be like the apotheosis. This is like basically the punchline of Walter Benjamin's the work of art in the age of mechanical mm-hmm. reproduction. It's like mm-hmm. in the, in the, in this era of the machine, you've got two ways you can go. You can uh, you can celebrate the machine through its ultimate fulfillment, which is war and like you know nonstop f- fascism um, and the holocausts that follow. And holocaust mm-hmm. meaning just like not precisely genocide, but like death through f- glorious fire, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can uh, re envision property relations. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's basically you have, you have caught, you have fascism and endless war or communism. Yes. Um, and this, yeah. And this very much, you're so right. seems like a condemnation of that aesthetic, that like love of the machine that is synonymous with the love of war. Mm-hmm. That's Which, all I have to
0: say about <laughs> I just have to interject a little more on autobiography uh, yes. Lug- or a little more biography of Bela Lugosi. Um, I, I can't help but think some of this this movie was made in concert with Lagosi was a communist or a socialist. Oh he my was God. part He was part? He had to leave Hungary as a young man. He was such he was so into the actors union. He was really in and you know an organizer basically figure and he was totally involved with the very very short-lived success of the of the Hungarian communists it didn't last very long I think they only ever had 25 percent of the country and they only it only lasted a few months but of course the backlash was fierce and he was forced to run for his life that's how he wound up emigrating mm. um, and running his way to America so you know he's got this intentionally, <laughs> intensely. I'm on the other, I'm on the other side of Boris Karloff's character thing going oh. on, just in his own biography, which just seems to be being milked like crazy in this movie.
1: Oh my god, it's amazing! That's yeah. so good,
0: and it's it's so refreshing again because you don't know if he's going to go good or evil. Like you no, know he's, he's hanging right on the precipice, and he's and there's so much about this woman thing. He's the love lord one who's lost who's lost the woman, and and Karloff. I still can't figure out quite how it's working. And Karloff is the one who's t- just taking all the women, <laughs> zombifying yes. them, um, um, keeping them in tanks. You know, so so it seems like part of what motivated Karloff, at least implied, is he wanted Bella Lugosi's woman slash women, m- wife and daughter. Um, and then yes. he goes right on to they wind up with a rivalry over the young the young woman um, who shows up. So when Lugosi is petting her in front of her husband in the train, (laughs) he claims anyway that she looks. She reminds him so much of of basically the wife he lost. So yes, they basically restaged this rivalry in the in the Art Deco (laughs) edifice built over the the Fortress of Death. Um, Same thing. So how that's fitting in exactly, I don't know. I feel like I should know, and I don't.
1: I don't know, but maybe, I mean, so it's interesting. Karloff's character is also a satanic priest. Yes. yes. Top <laughs> of, <laughs> he didn't have enough
0: going on. They sound him. And suddenly he, he's, he lays down b- beside the zombified daughter of Karloff. She seems very zombified, though. Of Lugosi, yeah. Yes. Well, i oh, sorry. Lugosi's what? So he lays down in bed with her and opens his bedside reading. And it's like the teachings of Lucifer or something. <laughs> no it's just it's so great so i
1: mean it has something to do with they're going to sacrifice a virgin it's like um i don't know the rites of the dark moon or something and this the you know boring american is going to be the sacrificial virgin Mm -hmm. and the Black Mass needs a moment, okay? Like, never has a Black Mass looked so glamorous. (laughs) It's shot so beautifully with this, like, weird Art Deco altar. Harlov is the high priest. (laughs) And all these people show up from, like, you don't know where, but of course, but interestingly, they're, like, mostly aristocrats, all of Uh these weird Satanists. There are all these rich people who show up at his house, and everyone changes. There's this gore like glorious sequence that looks like it's out of like Forty Second Street, where mm-hmm. everyone changes into their satanic garb, and it's shot from the back. Mm-hmm. They all like change their costumes, and you look at their backs as their like tunics uniformly in a but you know Busby Berkeley choreography like switch to mm-hmm. their satanic <laughs> satanic outfits, <laughs> and then. Yeah, she's about to be, like, sacrificed, and mm-hmm. I don't know, I mean, it has something to do with, I guess, sacrificing, I mean, maybe this is a bid for the norm, although it's certainly not straightforward, like, you sacrifice family or, like, nor- normal ideas of the future embodied in the family. In the for family, yes. Or so well, notions is,
0: of, like, yes, the pure young woman, I don't know, representing yeah. I don't know, or women as saviors <laughs> of culture. That's what I mean. I find like it's so messy. I feel like there's a, a really pristine, good answer and I can't get at it. But that's probably Same. it. Yeah. So, something like that. But yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's just fabulous. And
1: yeah, I love that you, and again, I think this whole thing is has some really twisty things to say about the marriage and, or marriage and coupledom. Like when we first see Boris Karloff he is in bed uh, like with Karin, Lagosi's wife, who is like in a zombified state. And you see him, they both are laying in bed as in their coffins. Right. And he
0: like- and He sits <laughs> up in that absolutely rigid way of like, you know, yeah. a monster. I'm the villain. Like- the way Dracula will come up all the way rigid from his feet. This is just rigid from the waist. (laughs) You're like, okay, total monster. Also somehow zombified, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, this is very much
1: about like, I I don't know people in general being turned into something monstrous against their will, something, something machine like in the way they move in the way they're petrified,
0: you know? and, And in fact, don't Karloff and Lugosi's character kind of bond Oddly, over this with Lugosi saying well we're both the living dead we both oh come god, out of the war, right. the living dead that's what we are
1: oh my god he says it that uh baldly okay good job
0: there yeah. we go <laughs> yeah. well, it's, okay it's not made a big deal of it's just this one line thrown in when they have their their longer confrontation yeah okay and then
1: so what do we make of the ending there's this amazing moment where the the virgin has been rescued from right. the black mass, right. and Bella Lugosi gets a hold of Boris Karloff. And Lugosi uh, rescues the girl, right? Right. Okay. So again, the American man does not.
0: <laughs> oh, no, yeah, he's totally ineffectual. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally ineffectual. Well, then, and so, yo, go ahead. You probably, I think you remember clearly than me. Go ahead. I
1: don't, no, I don't think that's true. Feel it's free. So I,
0: crazy at the end. It's just this crazy scrum. Because doesn't, it, Lugosi's trying to do something, and he gets shot by the young American, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, okay, so he's strung up—this is what happened. So he's, he's strung trying. up Boris Karloff, which is amazing. Like, yes. he strips Boris Karloff of his shirt, yes. shackles him to the satanic altar, yes. and, and says, I am— I'm going to flay you alive. And he picks up medical instruments, goes over to him and it is shown in shadow that he Mm. applies like a scalpel and is going to skin Karloff like an animal, Uh, like horrific to begin with. Uh And um, then the American comes and is, uh, I think Bela Lugosi is like what, trying to help the woman or something. Somehow, Somehow that
0: doesn't, you don't know if he's done it. It's a little confusing, right? It's kind of shadow movement of the scalpel, but then something yeah. happens, and then Bela Lugosi is again trying to save the woman. But the, this seems to his intentions are misread by yes by the, the American. American who then shoots Legosi, and again you're just seeing like the, the young American is just like you're Bumbling. not just useless, <laughs> you're actually detrimental to your own cause at every point. Yes, yeah. Yeah. exactly. So he,
1: I think he's trying to like get a key, or he tells Legosi. Yeah. Legosi's trying to like get, I don't know, a key from the woman to give to the man or to open the door or something. Yeah. And the American misreads it and shoots him. And Legosi in his death throes says, you know, like
0: run to the couple. Because he's going to detonate the whole place. Totally. yeah, Totally. Blow up the whole thing. And the two living dead men who were, you know, on either side of the thing are going to die. And the young, but you know, there's no way to read that as hopeful because if once you're attuned to this, the young Americans are idiots (laughs) idiots <laughs> yes uh, they understand no. nothing they blunder around they have no idea what's going so having them survive even though they, of course they're holding the, the the genre place of what you want to survive the young couple is the hope of the you know the, the future the future you can't feel that way when you're watching this you're just like well okay admittedly Lugosi and Karloff aren't really salvageable beings <laughs> fine but <laughs> you hardly want to you know hitch your wagon to the young couple either <laughs> <laughs> it, exactly
1: and there's there so they end up on the train at the end and it becomes clear that the young man has written a horror story or oh, no, novel a he's a mystery writer got it okay yes
0: he's, he's and the, a, and he's a successful mystery writer and they're reading his review yeah that's right
1: Right, and he's written about this incident, and the
0: reviewers dismiss it as hopelessly melodramatic. Hopelessly melodramatic, <laughs> and he really should try to be more true to life. Ha, ha, ha. And you're like, oh, this is perfect. Because just to yeah. have them rebound, especially the young man, to his next time I'll go to Niagara Falls level of, like, not getting what situation he's in or anything else, is, that's perfect. That's perfect. It, totally, totally. So it's, I don't know, it's wonderful, and it's like, so
1: not straight faced and so um I I don't know, such such a savage condemnation of this American couple. It is. And, and,
0: and if you like think about a better known example of 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 that kind of condemnation, which is the third man, the great film noir. Oh yeah. Um about you know the the blundering American not understanding what's happened to Europe. During World War II, while America gets out relatively unscathed, then emerges as a superpower and he goes over, and everyone is just like, Go home, man. Yeah, <laughs> you don't get anything. Go home and write your cowboy stories and leave us alone. You've already got the mystery writer. Yeah. You know, Blundering around <laughs> in the black cat. It's just like amazing. I couldn't believe the resonances. Only that time it was about what had gone on in World War One. God, really, so really, true. Really. So-
1: so i think we can pretty heartily recommend like to me black cats four stars old dark house maybe three
0: yeah i don't know how you feel about it i'm a complete convert to black cat i feel ashamed because a friend of mine (laughs) lucas signorelli who's quite brilliant recommended this film so enthusiastically to me years and years ago and when i first watched it i kind of just couldn't i wasn't i wasn't attuned i don't know why i wasn't getting it and so it's it's really watching it this time that has made me appreciate it. It's like he's was right. It's a great film, absolutely. A great yeah, film. yeah, yeah. And and this is the Edgar G. Ulmer one, right? Right. This is the Edgar yes. Ulmer goes on to do Detour, which is one of the great great film noir. You know, ba- yeah. based on no money whatsoever. I mean, he his he his career just never got off the ground. He was stuck in B films and. You know, he never he never had much to work with. but Detour is one of the triumphs. So that's all the way in the 40s. But he's already heading that way. He's already, you know, refined. He's already got style, like, just bursting with style in a way that's wonderful to watch. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so you good. Know, we haven't had so much to about Karloff. I just want to add, because, you know, we haven't really picked the two films that would most showcase, showcase him. As I say, Black Cat is an, kind of an oddity. I was a little startled, because you're right. You get to see that he's actually a... An, in an, in his own odd way, a good-looking man. Yeah, really, you're kind of not allowed to see because he's yeah. made, being made up to, to be so monstrous. I mean, if you look at the Raven, he's even more. His features are so horribly distorted. Um, Bela Lugosi's the mad scientist figure in that, and he and he comes. He's a Karloff plays a criminal, and he comes to Lugosi's mad scientist, and and he presents his theory that the reason he's so he's a criminal. And he's done many cruel, terrible things. Is he's always been so ugly that everyone has rejected him. So he wants this doctor to fix him, and he thinks that will make him a good person. And Lugosi, being an evil, mad scientist, immediately thinks, oh, this is where I create the most evil henchman I ever had. So instead of making him handsome, he makes him so hideous, no one can bear to look at him. Every time he comes into a room, everyone, like, you know, clutches their throat in horror. So it, that's. Even though it's, of course, horribly disfigured, it's a more typical, you know, um, Karloff performance, but he Mm -hmm. he needs to bring all the pathos, which is his his thing. He can be the most, the most, have done the most terrible things, have killed multiple people, blah, blah, blah but all he has to do is kind of unleash, <laughs> unleash the pathos of peel of the face, the voice, the hands, and you're just completely won over. Like, I love this guy. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. His genius things. If you want to see how he looks without all the crap all over him, you can watch him in the Val Luton movies, especially, um, uh, Isle of the Dead, Bedlam, and, and probably his greatest performance is The Body Snatch. Um, he's he's so distinctive an actor and he finally gets somewhat more you know restrained enough roles to play though they're still wonderfully colorful but he gets to play a kind of human being um hmm. and he just does such brilliant work that you're just like what a waste because you know with karloff most of his career is you just, monsters it's it's monster movies even i and i'm a fan have not seen most of them there's millions of them. before he hmm. i think i think he made 80 films before he finally broke through Oh my God! <laughs> oh, so many films. I mean, playing tiny parts or small parts. Um, it took him a long, long time. To, to, in fact, there's interesting parallels between him and Lugosi. both <laughs> bailed bailed out of like schooling or you know the, the the way the obvious way upward. You know, Karloff comes from an Anglo-Indian family of of you know upper middle class civil servants. All of his brothers go become members of the, the British Foreign Office. He regarded himself as the black sheep of the family. And they both go into late hard labor while trying to make it as, um, as actors. Um, so Karloff, actually, that's where he first starts injuring his back. I mean, he's literally working on the railroad for, you know, almost no pay. And he first is injuring his back terribly, so badly he gets out of service in World War I. That's how he escapes World War I even though he's the same generation as Lagosi, who served but you know the legend has always been that it's frankenstein that wrecks carlos carloff's back and puts him in perpetual pain thereafter um yeah. but that's not what happened it only aggravated the injuries he already had so he was in unbearable pain for for a lot of his life so again a parallel to Lagosi. um okay. you know it's the war ruins the sciatica somehow Karloff didn't wind up you know addicted to Um, morphine morphine (laughs) or whatever other medication there was somehow Mm -hmm. um so they had parallel you know kind of actually lugosi made it earlier with um with um in a way with his easier i should say because he toured forever with dracula before he became um before he made the movie so he was famous for a while before before that and he got got to kind of kind of come in as a more of a star but then they were both kind of hard laboring um guys trying to make it as actors and then both made it almost what what it's the, roughly the same year isn't it 30 and 31 yeah exactly yeah. so yeah and suppose you know it depends on who you read about no, i thought the- it was 32
1: was was, was yeah it's i think it's like dracula frankenstein the mummy and the invisible man all come Is out right? of universal yeah, yeah. It's
0: all, they're all clustered together in one in one thing that puts you know universal at the top as far as horror film all those hits in a row Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, Kar- so Karloff comes out of like ultra, you know, kind of not rich, but you know, British gentry um, kind yeah. of kind of <laughs> situation. And Anglo-Indian, literally, his his what his his grandfather's <laughs> wife was Indian. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he, you know, he comes out of a, a tradition that made him ashamed to go home, even when he was famous. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he went home like thinking he's going to be rejected, and they were all all his brothers were thrilled. That he, he was so famous but he, he didn't he didn't think he'd be welcomed um but you know he's he's such an interesting actor he had he, he would see you and i see him as good looking he was yeah i think most people thought he was very odd looking and he had a lisp and early on on he had a stutter terrible stutter that he finally overcame his oh, wow. lisp of course he never overcame <laughs> but it just became part of this absolutely beautiful beautiful voice he just has the most beautiful melodious voice it's one of the great pleasures of watching how the grins stole christmas just to listen to um his wonderful control over his voice his wonderful delivery um if you want to get a quick capsule reading of karloff you watch targets which is just a really great film It's it's a roger corman film so very low budget first film by peter bogdanovich Bogdanovich, what the hell happened to you? Because you started off so great, <laughs> and it basically just takes Karloff playing a version of himself as a you know a, 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 an an old time horror star who's getting to the end of his career, and in fact is embittered and is quitting because, as he says, my kind of stardom, my kind of horror, rather, no longer applies in a world that is so where real life horrors are so monstrous. I can't. Who who could be scared of someone like me? Hmm. so he gets he but he agrees to go to one last public appearance for his last film it's going to be they're going to sh- do a, dry, a drive-in screening of this film and he, so one last low-rent appearance before he's done and when he gets there he 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 basically his storyline runs smack into an example of modern horror which is based on the charles whitman case the guy the, the guy who was the university of texas tower sniper the guy who oh was not he was in the i forget what year in the in the sixties. Oh it, was, oh, it was only like a year or so before, like 66 or 67, right before they made the movie, went off in the tower of the University of Texas and just started randomly shooting people. Mm-hmm. And it had been especially a shocking case at the time because he seemed like such a handsome, athletic, clean cut middle class white boy that nobody could believe it that he you know, now you read his biography and you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, he was a marine. Uh, you know, there there were early examples of him being oddly sociopathic. Apparently, he had commented to his class a classmate well before he ever did it. That boy, if you went up in that tower at the University of Texas, you could hold off an army before they could ever get to you. You know, just odd, ah. odd things. Um, you know, there were there were clear problems, but but at the time, it just seemed like the most shocking thing in the world. That the profile of the person who would never do such a thing, then does such a thing. And he'd murdered his 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 wife and mother before he ever went up there
1: oh my god (laughs) shocking,
0: shocking. he is the. if you ever see references to someone getting up you know in the tower and being the sniper and there was a couple of jokes for a while people remembered this for a long time in 80s movies somebody referred to this i remember in a comedy but i think people have forgotten since then
1: so anyway they have
0: essentially those are the two storylines that are going to collide when they get to the Good. to the drive in, of course, when when the sniper sets himself up behind the screen and starts shooting at the audience. Hmm. So it's a re- but it's great in that they take the old fashioned qualities of Karl off. He always did have an English gent quality to him um he insisted on taking tea every day at four on set, which drove Lagosi crazy apparently lugosi hated it um, okay but he was you know supposedly quite a gentle man quite a kindly man and it, because he could draw on these qualities of kind of mellowness and sweetness and melancholy and politeness they were they, it always added this great tension to his monster characters obviously what makes his frankenstein's monster so um one of the qualities is is the pathos of the character has always been so striking um so you you kind of get this late life summing up of um a figure who's almost old-fashioned even as he started he brought with him a kind of strange old-fashioned quality of gentlemanliness into roles where you would not be expecting to find certain qualities if he brought them um so he's just He's just a, a, always a moving actor. And he's even in, in movies that aren't really up to his level, like the mummy, if you watch the mummy. He's the whole show because as usual, you know, he's the great actor surrounded by not such great actors, but, but he, he can do burning. He had very cold black eyes. He can do burning obsessive love. Um, while wrapped up in mummy <laughs> mummy cloth better than anyone or looking like he's a thousand years old with wrinkly skin better than anyone could do it Right, do so, that <laughs> kind of banked power and paid those really uh, outstandingly well so you have to be a little melancholy that he didn't get more great roles but at least he got the great roles that he did so Karloff is a good one to to visit this Halloween if you haven't if you're not up on your Karloff
1: yes absolutely
0: sorry and I think so take but
1: yeah, go ahead. no important background eileen so we can mm. fully appreciate mm. <laughs> so
0: yeah i think um i think that that wraps up our episode i think so i think we are done for our our pre-code halloween party as we're calling it to two from um, boris Karloff. Thank you, dear listeners. And of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in silk evening gowns and cellar doors. Um, <laughs> if you're not yet a subscriber, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all the Film Suck content instead of just the half that's publicly available. You can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, join us in two weeks for more fantabulous um, <laughs> conversation. Until then, <laughs> thanks again for listening. Bye, thanks. everyone. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween.